Well, good morning and Happy New Year. Um, thank you for saying it back to me. Um, our theme uh, for this year that we're going to have as a church uh, is called Depend in 2010. And I'm really excited about it, and I was sharing it with our staff uh, this past week. And in the midst of that, one of the staff members that I won't mention their full name, Jana, who is uh, the director of our family and children's ministry, uh, she started laughing, and I was like, why are you laughing about this? And uh, the reason she said she was laughing is because whenever she hears the word depend, this is what she thinks of. I promise you as we go into the new year, we will not force you to wear Depends, okay? Unless you need them and it's your own choice at that point, okay? But rather than that, uh, and you can take that off, I can already tell people are going to get confused. Um, Rather than that, what we want to do this year is we want to challenge you to depend more upon God than you depend on yourself, more than you depend on your friends, more than you depend on your family, more than you depend on your spouse, more than you depend upon your job. And there's a scripture verse that uh, is real powerful, and it says this, Depend on God and keep at it, because in the Lord God you have a sure thing. Let's read that together as we begin the new year. Depend on God and keep at it, because in the Lord God you have a sure thing. If you would, I'd like you to pull out for a second this card that was in your program when you first walked in uh, today. It's a white card and it has uh, some different graphics on the side of it. And we really believe that to be a healthy functioning church, these are four things that we all need to be working on and growing in. And uh, you can see them right there, the first one. Uh, It says, depend in 2010. The scripture on the top says, deep in my heart, I say, the Lord is all I need. I can depend on him. And the first thing we want to encourage you to do is to read the Bible. That you set uh, set aside a time each day to read and reflect on the Bible. The second thing there that we'll talk about next week is relating with God. To spend some time alone with God in prayer each day. And the next one there, relate with others to sharing community with a small group of people regularly. And the last one then is to reach out. To seek out two people who are not connected with Christ or the church. Pray for them and start building a relationship with them. And this is what we're going to focus on for the whole year. And we want all of you to do it. Because if you can fulfill these goals, I guarantee that your life will be fuller and richer. So put this somewhere uh, on your refrigerator, somewhere that would remind you uh, what we're going to be doing uh, as a group. Now you're going to be so glad that you came this morning because this morning I'm going to be teaching on something that is probably the most important teaching that you're ever going to hear. It's something that has transformed my life. And now the reason that it's so important is because it deals with the whole uh, central reality of life. And the central reality of life, of your life and of my life, is this. You don't have what it takes. 
You don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. When you start this thing called life, you don't have what it takes to be the person that you want to be. You don't have what it takes to be the wife that you want to be. The husband you want to be. The friend you want to be. The boyfriend, the girlfriend you want to be. The employee you want to be. You don't have what it takes to be the grandmother that you want to be. Or the grandfather you want to be. Or the aunt or the uncle or the church leader. Or in my realm, the pastor that you want to be. You don't have what it takes. Now, some of you right now are getting a little ticked off because me just telling you, you don't have what it takes, you're ready to storm the stage. You're ready to get in my face and go, Bunch, don't tell me I don't have what it takes. I've got what it takes. But the reality is, folks, you don't. So many of you right now are asking the ultimate question of life. The question that many of us ask, and it's this, if I don't have what it takes, then what am I missing? What am I missing? That's the question of life. We ask it all the time. What am I missing? I mean, if I don't have what it takes, then what am I missing in my life? When you start out this thing called life, you have excitement and zeal and a desire to be the person that you want to be. But you don't always have the wisdom to be the person that you want to be. And that's the answer to this whole missing piece, is wisdom. You need wisdom. What am I missing? You're missing wisdom. So what you have to do is you have to go through life and you have to capture and collect and gather all of this wisdom that you can and then you place it into your heart somewhere safe And then you go along the way. Now this morning, the question that you might have is, well, how do I get it? How do I get wisdom in my life? Just by a show of hands, how many of you think that you could use a little more wisdom in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. And those who are not raising their hands, what do we call them? Liars. Exactly. Now some of you are here for the first time and you're going, man, this is a rough church. Okay. No, but the reality is we all need our hands raised up because we all need wisdom. Every every single one of us could use a little bit more. So how do I get wisdom? Well, I think there's two ways that a person gains wisdom in their life. The first way you gain wisdom is through personal experience. Okay? Personal experience. For example, let's say that you stand right here and you run as hard as you can towards that wall and you hit it. Bang! You break your nose. Oh, man! Wall hard, nose soft, hard, or wall wins, nose lose. You know? Just like that. And what have you learned? You just learned that you should not run and hit something that doesn't move, right? And you take that wisdom and you get a little wiser. But it costs you one bone for one gem of wisdom, okay? You had to give up your nose for this wisdom. 
So you put this wisdom back in your heart again, and you go forward. Now, a second way that you can gain wisdom is from other people's personal experience. Other people's personal experience. Now, that's a better way to go, isn't it? That's a lot better way. Your friend comes, stands right here, runs full blast towards that wall. Bam! Ah, man, I broke my nose! You know, wall, hard, nose, soft, wall, win, nose, loses. And you sit back and you take the wisdom and you go to them and you go, what did you learn? And they would say, well, Chris, I learned that you don't run towards something that doesn't move and slam into it. And you take that little bit of wisdom that you learn from and you put it into your heart and you go forward. Now listen carefully. You don't have enough bones in your body, okay, to break, to accumulate the amount of wisdom that's needed for you to continue to be the person that you want to be. So you have to learn from other people's experience. How many of you would attest to the fact that you have gained some kind of knowledge in your life from personal experience. How many would say you've learned something from personal experience? Yeah. Now, what if I started going through all the rows and I just started collecting all of the wisdom that you guys have gained from personal experience? And I take that and I collect it. When I left the gym today, if I collected all the little wisdom, the little kernels of wisdom that you've had from personal experience, I'd be a rich man. And I would have a lifetime of wisdom beyond my experience. It would be beyond what I know because of it. And gaining wisdom from another person's experience would save me years if I collected everything that was here. Before we uh, started the jar, I uh, went to a lot of different conferences and workshops on how to start a church how to plan a church from the beginning. And so as I went to these conferences, they would give out notebooks and folders and binders, and I would collect all of these, and I would get wisdom of how to do this. But in collecting all of these, I never talked to one other person who had actually planted a church or started a church. And about six months before we went to Sunday morning, when we only met on that side of the gym, halfway cut through, I met a guy named Gary who had planted a successful church, and he and I started meeting regularly. And each time we would meet and sit down, he would say things, and as fast as I could write them, I would just write, 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 all down on this yellow legal notebook. I remember one time he asked me the question, well, have you guys gone public? Now that seems real easy, doesn't it? Did you go public? Do people know where you're at? I, I don't know about you, but you could figure that out. But I had no clue what he was asking. And so I said, well, what do you mean by going public? And he said, well, does anyone know you exist? Do they know where you meet? And I said, well, 
the people who we've told, they know where we're at. You know, that, that group of small people, they know where we're at. And he said, yes, I know that. But does anyone outside your little huddle of people know where you meet, that you exist? And I was like, uh, uh, no. He said, well, you haven't gone public then. Well, time after time, we would meet, and I would just write down as many things as I could on this legal notebook. And finally, after uh, about the dozen time, Gary stopped me, and I was just writing. He said, Chris, Chris, stop for a second. He said, every time we sit down and talk, you don't even look at my face. All you do is start writing. You write everything down. And I said, well, I, I do this because... I want to get every kernel of wisdom and knowledge from you because you've done this before. Then all of a sudden he took this notebook that he had and he slid it across the table. And he said, you can have this. Start listening to me. Now, I about started to cry. And then I thought, why didn't he give that to me on the first time, you yeah? I mean, I would have paid all kinds of money for that notebook because it saved me a lifetime of mistakes when we first started the job. You see, folks, God knew that you would need some wisdom in your life. That you would need experience beyond yourself to fulfill the assignment that He's given particularly to you. He knew that. So he made it possible for you, through lives that have gone before us, some wisdom that you can use for your life. And it's not just some notebook or some notes. It's not even a book or two books. But in this book, there are 66 books all wrapped up into one, and it's called the Bible. And here in this book of 66 books are raw, unedited accounts of men and women. Many of them who made big mistakes, drastic mistakes. But what they left behind for us was some golden wisdom. And as you read their stories, what they do is, as you read them, they begin to deposit into your heart these truths, these wisdom things that go beyond the ages. In fact... Some of my best friends are in the Bible. I've walked with Moses, the guy who, uh, you know, parted the Red Sea with the power of God. And if you remember the story, once he gets on the other side, he spends 40 years in a wilderness of people who are complaining and grumbling. Let's say that word, grumbling. Grumbling. You're good at that. Um... And I remember meeting with Moses at times. I go, how do you handle grumbling people? Like some of you. No, not like you, like the person sitting beside you, right? Yeah. But seriously, Moses taught me how to deal with grumbling, how to delegate, how to inspire, how to be patient. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of David, who is the greatest king of the Bible. And I learned about leadership with him and how to have a heart for God. There's a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. I learned about the importance of confessing sins, what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus and gain knowledge from her, or through him, from, through her story. I've learned wisdom from Solomon, 
persistence from Paul and the importance of keeping my mouth shut from Peter. And I've learned about this guy named Samson who had all these issues with women. And I've often asked him, why were you so dumb with women? You know, you know they will talk to you. The, the people who've gone before us, our mentors, they will talk with you. They really will. The Bible says this. Abel, who Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel, by faith, still speaks, even though he is dead. But this book here is so much more than just a historical record, a historical account. The Bible says this in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active. Romans 15.4 says this, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. You see, folks, this book here is not a dead book, but it's active and it's alive and it gives hope to you when you read it. There are words of hope. As you pick this book up and you begin to start reading through it, all of the mentors of the Bible come and they begin to speak to you. Because the people of the Bible were actually designed. They were assigned to each one of you to speak to you and to help you as you go through this thing called life. They're your counselors, your tutors, your encouragers, your instructors. And as you read this, they'll deposit into your little heart and your mind the gems of the ages. Wisdom beyond yourself. You'll receive wisdom from them. Psalm 119 says this, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for your commands are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your decrees. You see, folks, there's only one book in the entire world that God ever promised to inspire. And it's this book right here, the Bible. And the same inspiration that God gave to the men and women throughout all of these pages, He wants to give to you. He wants to give to you the exact same wisdom that comes out of here into your life, into your heart, if you'll read it. He'll breathe these words into your life. And again, this book is not dead, folks. A lot of times people think the Bible is a dead book. It's just a historical book. But it's active and alive and breathing. And it gives you not just life, but abundant life. We've all had life, haven't we? We've had to deal with our family the last two weeks, right? But God wants to give you something more than that. He wants to give you abundant life. Let me ask you this question. Let's say that you just eat once a week, and then you just kind of snack on tidbits for the rest of the time. And let's say that you do this for 20 years. You just kind of eat once a week, but you have tidbits all along the way. At the end of those 20 years, guess what you would look like? Ugly. You would. You'd be skinny and puny and gaunt, and your face would all be kind of like shrunken in and caved in. 
And I think you'd start saying to yourself, I better feed myself. And folks, the same thing is true spiritually. You can become weak and puny, spiritually speaking, if you're not feeding on God's Word. A few years ago, uh, a guy came to my office. He was in his mid-40s. And we sat down and he said, Chris, I just wanted to tell you, I'm leaving the church. Now, if you're a pastor, that is like the worst thing you could ever hear in your life. People leaving the church. And so I asked him, I said, well, why are you leaving? And he said, because I'm not getting fed. And uh, now I have two daughters. One is two and a half years old. The other one's eight months. And we feed both of them all the time. Seems like they just eat constantly. And as we feed them, we do it because they can't feed themselves. Now, our two-and-a-half-year-old has learned how to open up the garage, or a garage. Uh, Yeah, we put our child in the garage, and then open up the refrigerator, and she'll try to climb up to get what she wants. But she can't pour things. She can't do things on her own. And the eight-month-old can't do anything. And so we have to feed them. But we do it generously. We do it often. And we do it because it's our responsibility. But let's say, fast forward 40 years, and either one of my daughters, either Jordan or Shiloh, they come up to me, and they come up and they're skinny and scrawny and puny, and kind of their you know, faces are shrunken in a little bit, and they go, Dad, I'm just not getting fed around here anymore. You know what I'd tell them? I'd go up to them and I'd say, Feed yourself! There's the refrigerator. There's the food. Go feed yourself. And this guy in his 40s, when he walked into my office, and he had been a Christian for a long time, I looked at him and I said, how old are you? He said, I'm in my, I don't remember, but he was in his 40s. I go, you're in your 40s. You've been a Christian a long time. Feed yourself. Feed your Okay? And I want to encourage you to this morning that you feed yourself. The most important thing you can do in your life is to feed yourself. Have a daily time where you sit down and you connect with God. You read His words and then you do what He wants you to do. Now some of you might say, well, Bunch, all right. That's good for you. That's the most important thing for your life. Because you're the pastor. I mean, you've got to go up there and say something. I know it's the new year and you know, there are people are here and you probably have to say something you know, about the Bible. Okay, I get all that. But folks, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. There's a story in the Bible about two sisters that Jesus comes to visit one day. And the two sisters, their names are Mary and Martha. And Martha is scurrying and hurrying all around the place, trying to get food ready, things prepared for Jesus. And when Jesus arrives, Mary doesn't do anything to help Martha out. She just goes right to his feet. She sits down and she listens to his words. And Martha is like wiping her hands off. She comes out of the kitchen 
She's like, hey, Jesus, why don't you get my punk sister there and get her working? Help us with the food. All right, that's my paraphrase, okay? And look at how Jesus responded. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen, she is what? Chosen, she is what? Chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Only one thing is necessary. And there it is. Because Jesus knew how important this time was spent with Him because it will affect other areas of your life. I don't know if you've ever watched uh, professional athletes or uh, professional musicians, but many of them do things over and over and over again every single day. They have routines and schedule, whether they run or sprint or lift weights or whatever. Basketball players... Uh, will come and they'll get to the free throw line and they'll shoot hundreds of free throws every single day if they want to become good at that particular skill. Football players will go and they'll lift weights even during the regular season. They'll go ahead and lift or they'll you know, throw a ball through a, you know, a small kind of confined space to get perfect at doing that. A golfer will come and they'll have swing kind of practices that they do every single time. Drills that they do over and over and over again. And if you're a concert pianist, there is something that you do almost every single day. If you're at that level where you play in front of large groups of people, concert pianists do this every single day. You know what they do? Scales. Scales. I took piano in college for one semester my senior year. I took it because I thought it was going to be an easy credit. I thought it was like typing. You know how you, you once you learn how to type, man, you can type forever. Fast, slow, however you want to do it. Piano and typing is like night and day. And the whole semester, all they had me do was scales. I would have to do this little thing and then flip it over and on and on. And I hated it. And at the end of the, the semester, I actually dropped the class. And I was talking to my piano teacher one day. And I was like, I'm tired of playing scales. I want to play music. And this is what she said. She said, Chris, concert pianists do scales every single day. They do major scales and minor scales and Locterian scale. I don't know. She started picking out words I didn't even know. And she just said they do scales upon scales upon scales again and again and again. And why do they do this? Because one day they're going to have thousands of people and they're going to play scales to them? No. That'd be boring to go and spend money to hear a concert pianist just play scales. But they do the scales over and over again because it helps with their hand-eye coordination. And the pace of the hands, and their dexterity, and their uh, agility. So when all of a sudden they're given this real difficult piece, like Mozart or Beethoven, or whatever it is, they're able to play that so much easier. And they'll be able to play it easy because they've done their scales. 
And what seems so difficult for someone else, for these people, they can do it no problem because they've done their scales every single day over and over and over again. Now, if you don't do your scales every single day and they put a sheet of music in front of you that's pretty difficult, you'll look at that sheet of music and you'll go, Ah, oh, man, look at all those black dots. You know? You won't have a clue what to do with that. But if you play scales every day, you can navigate yourself through that difficult. What I want to share with you now is something that is just for you. It's the scales for your everyday life. It's most important to you. It's the most important thing. And when you play these scales every single day, whatever happens in your life, you'll be able to get through it. Because how many of you believe that God knows what you're going to go through tomorrow? Anybody believe that? How many of you believe that God knows what you're going to go through a week from now? How many of you believe that God knows two weeks from now? You're all going up and down. Now your hands are getting tired. Okay, how many of you believe that God knows what you're going to go through a month from now? Yeah, we'd all raise our hands, right? Yeah. Do you know what you're going to go through? No. Does He know? Yeah. And because of the Bible, He gives you wisdom for the ages that if you read it, when you're reading something, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, will highlight something to you and you'll take that kernel of wisdom and you can put it in your heart for the future. And He'll deposit these things into your life so that when you get to something that happens next week or the week after that or a month from now, you'll be prepared for it. You know, some people will say, well, the Bible takes time. No, the Bible saves time. It saves you tons of time. And as you read the wisdom from God's Word, He'll allow the mentors of the Bible to deposit these different things into your life. And it will save you, I'm telling you, it'll save you tons of time. Let me tell you how one of these mentors, a guy by the name of Joseph, saved my marriage. Several years ago, I was reading his story, and as I was reading it, I was reading about him having this married woman coming after him, trying to flirt with him, trying to have him to have an affair with her. And as I'm reading this scripture, it says that Joseph saw Potiphar's wife coming at him like that, and he ran away. He ran away like a little puppy dog because he was afraid of the temptation. And I'm reading that, and I still remember that. I was laughing. I was like, man, he's a grown man. He's like big into the kingdom. Why was he so afraid of this temptation? He could have walked. He didn't have to run. Well, in our first year of marriage, my wife Jennifer and I lived in two separate places. She lived here in Muncie, and I lived over near Lafayette, near Purdue University. And uh, we only saw each other on weekends, and it was a very kind of lonely time for both of us. And during that year, I remember a couple of weeks before the instance took place that I was reading the story of Joseph, and a couple of weeks later... 
A married woman came into my office where I was pastoring at the time, and she sat down and we started talking. She started sharing about the difficulty of her marriage. She was a very attractive woman, the most attractive woman, you know, in Carroll County, I thought. Now, you need to know that Carroll County has more hogs than women, but, you know, I mean, she was the most attractive there, okay? Is anyone from Carroll County here? No, I'm going to be in trouble. Ah, who cares then, right? But she was the most attractive woman, and she was very kind. And we'd sit down, and I'd listen to her, and I'd console her. And this went on every single day, 4 o'clock, she would come. And uh, one day, we, I, we had our counseling session, and I was getting ready to go to the stairwell. And we're standing at the stairwell, and it was an older church, and so the stairwell went down, and then there was this basement underneath it. And we were standing there, and uh, I gave her a hug, she gave me a hug, you know, I, I do that with a lot of people, and hey... And all of a sudden, I had this weird feeling that I could probably do something right now that no one would ever know and no one would ever find out. So I kind of got off the hug like this, and all of a sudden, she kind of put her head in towards me, like as to kiss me. You got the picture? And all of a sudden, down the staircase... There was my friend Joseph. Dude, run! Run! Come down here. I want you to run. And I looked at her and I said, I got to go. I'm waiting on a friend. And I ran down the stairs, ran across the basement, back up the stairs, over to the parsonage, the house that the church paid for. I went in there, closed the door, locked it, got to the couch, opened up my Bible and go, God, talk to me! Joseph saved my marriage. You see, folks, the Bible doesn't take time. It saves you time. And some of my best friends are right there in the Bible. So how do you engage with the Bible? Because it can be an intimidating book. How do I do that? Now, a lot of people say, well, how do I connect with this Jesus that you're talking about? This life giver, this person who gives life, Jesus Christ himself. How do I do that? Now, one of the questions that people will often come and they'll ask me is they'll say, well, when should I do this? When should I do this Bible reading time, this devotional time? How many of you are morning people? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hand down. How many of you are evening people? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are neither? You're just comatose all day long, okay? There we go. Now we got some true people here. Okay, the best time for you to connect with God in this devotional reading time is when you are at your best. So if you're at your best in the morning, you do it then. If it's in the evening, you do it then. It really doesn't matter when you do it, and it doesn't matter what length of time. Five, ten minutes will be huge kernels of truth into your life. Make it a habit, just like the scales. You have to make it a habit. Now, the question that you might have is, what should I bring? When I finally decide that I'm going to do this, what should I bring? Well, the first thing you need to bring is the Bible. If you don't have a Bible... We have Bibles back at the Connections table that are free. You can just pick one up before you leave today. Now, there are many good devotional books that are out there. 
daily bread, uh, utmost for my highest, purpose-driven, whatever it's called, uh, life, you know. You can read any of those, and those are good things. But God said there's only one that he'll inspire and he'll give you inspiration in, and that's the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E, Bible. My solo, give me a little love. Derek's up here and going, yeah, I love God, you know. You're all, oh, yeah. Jeez. We're starting off the new year right, aren't we? Okay, so you bring a Bible. Put that on there. Here's the second one. You bring a pen. A pen. Because what's going to happen is, as you're reading this book, all of a sudden, God's going to be like, ah, greed. And you're like, oh man, I'm struggling with that. You need to highlight it. Write it in. Have it something ready. Now, some people say, you should never write in the Bible. It's the Bible. It's holy. Don't write into it. These, you know what this is? This is ink on paper. It only becomes holy when that in there gets in here. It is not holy by itself. It's holy when that in there gets in here. Growing up as a kid, my uh, parents had this one table. It was uh, a coffee table, and there was this 10-ton Bible. I mean, we had to bring a crane in you know, to get the Bible in And it was on this table. My grandmother gave it to my uh, mom. And nothing else sat on this table except the Bible. And my mom would often say, don't you dare put anything on the Bible table. I'd be like, the Bible table? I mean, I think my mom thought it was like a magic book. You know, like if the devil walked into the the, uh, room, all of a sudden the Bible would like jump up and go, you know? Like the Bible would attack, you know? No, 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 no. This only becomes holy when that in there gets here. So you bring a pen. Next thing you bring is a reading plan. A reading plan. If you would, when you walked in today, in your program, you got all kinds of good stuff. But this is one thing you got. Pull this out. Everybody pull it out. It's called a reading booklet. Five minutes a day in the Bible. Now, no one gave this to me when I first started. And so I started with Genesis. I had the King James Version. And I had thee, thou, thus, though, thou, thou, fool. And then, chinam, mimam, mubab, bubam. And I was like, what in the world? I'm giving you a gift right now, okay? This right here will help you to understand the Bible. Because it starts with Jesus' teachings, and it takes five minutes a day. This right here, folks, is worth the price of admission today. You take this and you just do it each day and you read, your life's going to be changed. This is it. It doesn't take a long time, but it will give you, it will save you time. Now some of you might be, well, I've already done that before. Well, if you have, then sign up for Journey Through the Bible. Just go online, put your name in it. Uh, You can go to our website, thejar.org, And uh, you go to the screen that says Journey Through the Bible, click on it, you sign up your information, and then each day you'll get a devotional, a scripture verse and a devotion, and then a prayer from Romans to Revelation. Now, if you've never done this before, don't do this. 
Because what will happen is you'll get confused. Do this. I'm going to be doing this. In fact, uh, I just started reading through. I'm going to read through the entire Bible in two years. I started on January 1st because I can't read it in one year. I tried one time and it was horrible. And uh, so I got to do two years. I'm a slow learner. But I'm doing it in two years and I've just got a reading plan. But you need a reading plan, whatever it is. And you start it and you just do it at a regular time each time. So do something. Now here's the fourth thing you need to bring. A journal. It can be a spiral bound thing. You can go and buy a real nice leather one. You can have one that has scented paper if you want. I don't care what it is, but a journal. And it's not a diary, it's a journal. And in the journal, you're going to write down an acrostic each time that you read. And it's an acrostic that's in your uh, teaching outline that says SOAP, S-O-A-P, okay? Now, you can pull that out and you can write that down if you haven't written anything else down. And many people will say, well, Chris, I just don't understand the Bible. I mean, I wouldn't know what to write. I mean, 90% of the things I read, I don't understand. You know what you write on then? The 10% that you do understand. You don't try to do the 90%. You just do the 10% that you do get. Okay? So you write in your journal. First, you write down S, which stands for the Scripture. Scripture. Let's say that you're reading this verse in Matthew, and all of a sudden it comes highlighted to you. I went through this this week, and this is the verse. Jesus said... What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. So you take your journal and you just write that out, that scripture verse. Just one verse. Don't write a whole bunch of stuff. Just one thing, maybe that God kind of highlighted to you. Then secondly, you do the O, which stands for observation. Observation. You simply take time to make an observation of the scripture verse. Now here's my simple observation of that verse. It says in this verse that God is speaking. So the question is not, God, are you speaking? The question is, am I listening? Was it long? Just a short little observation. Here's the A. The A stands for application. You want to apply it. You want to write it down and then actually do something with it. What are you going to do with it? Well, here's mine. Lord, if I'm not listening to you in the darkness, what in the world am I speaking when I get into the light? And if I'm not hearing you whisper anything into my ear, what in the world have I been telling others? I'm going to take time today to sit down with you so you'll deposit wisdom into my soul. Thank you, God. So just a little application. I'm going to take some time just to hang out. Here's the last one. The P stands for prayer. Prayer. You just write out a short prayer. It doesn't have to be anything long. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to me, your servant. My ears are open, my eyes to drop into my heart wisdom that I'm going to need for the coming month. In Jesus' name, amen. And folks, if you'll do that, I'm telling you, your life will literally change. Okay, last thing you need to bring. A piece of paper. Just a regular piece of paper. The reason you do this is inevitably something's going to come into your head that isn't holy or isn't very spiritual, but it's important. Like, I've got to get milk. 
You're reading your Bible and all of a sudden, I've got to get milk. I've got to get milk. My wife told me, don't come home unless you have milk. And so if you don't do something with the milk, your, your brain's going to have this battle going back and forth. You know, you're going to be like, milk, 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 milk. No, Matthew, Matthew. No, milk, Matthew. Um, milking of Matthew. No, that sounds bad. And, you know, all of a sudden you're done and you've got absolutely nothing whatsoever in your mind that God gave to you. Because you're thinking about milk. So when that comes, you have this piece of paper and you just write it down. You write down milk. Boop! Stay. And if you have something else, you just write it down, whatever it is. And you leave that there, and then when you're done, you can deal with whatever it is. Okay, five things that we're going to bring. I forget what the first one is. We bring a... Okay, a Bible. And then the second thing we bring is a... A pen. And then the third thing we bring is a... Reading plan. And then the fourth thing that we bring is a... A journal. And then the last thing we bring is a... Piece of paper. Yeah, whatever it is. Stay. 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 Folks, if you do this, you will gain wisdom. Because 2010 is going to throw you some stuff that you can't do on your own. And you'll need the wisdom from people before you to do it. Let's stand for closing prayer. Well, God, uh, we thank you so much uh, for this day. And God, we thank you for this book that is more than a book that you've given to us called the Bible. God, help us this week to breathe in these words, to gain some wisdom, to feel your presence as we read them and to know, God, that we are loved as your son and as your daughter. Give us the discipline this week, God, to, to read your word, to take our reading plan just five, ten minutes a day, God, just to kind of connect with you. So as we start off this new year, God, we can start off in a way that allows us to receive wisdom from you that we'll need. I pray this in Jesus' name.
in this place. Uh, Connect with God this week in the Bible. Um, Be the best New Year's resolution you can make. Uh, Have a great week. Thanks. If you want prayer for anything, come on up.